Welcome to another season of the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'm joined by Brad Canning. Alabama's coming off a 51-14 win over Louisville and Orlando. Joining us to recap the game is the host of The Drive on 93.9 The Ville in Louisville. He also coined the term Saban's Joyless Murder Ball. I'm sorry, Saban's Joyless Murder Ball. That's a lot to say. He's Mark Ennis. Mark, thanks for coming on, man. I feel like the latter of what you said is really my claim to fame. Forget the radio show. <laughs> it is. It's kind of like taking a life of its own a little bit, I feel like. Well, I tell you what, one thing I've learned, and, and this is going to be a surprise, I think, to a lot of people, but the, outside of the crazies that everybody has, like just the mainstream Alabama people that I've dealt with and the media people from Alabama that I've dealt with are pretty funny people. And so the fact the people that have sort of glommed onto it, I have really enjoyed it. Uh, it's very funny, and I didn't. I didn't have a bad experience. The Louisville getting their heads kicked in in Orlando. I didn't have a bad experience at all. Well, if you're expecting us to be funny, you're, you're probably going to be disappointed. But uh, what what, <laughs> what has the response kind of to, to this game been like in Louisville? Because I think Saturday was was probably a good indication of what Alabama's season is going to look like. But I don't necessarily think the same for Louisville. Is there? There's still optimism there. Well, I think there is still optimism here. Part of it is that for everything that didn't look all that great, that Puma pass looked pretty good. That I think the quarterback made a pretty good impression on everybody. Uh, and he was one of the bigger questions. I mean, you don't just replace Lamar Jackson and, and everything go off without a hitch. And I thought he looked pretty good uh, against Alabama. So that helps a lot. And then it really doesn't hurt Louisville that most everybody on the schedule, except for Clemson, kind of looked like crap in the first week. Uh, and so, like, there's still – even if they're not as good as you'd hope they were, it doesn't look like anybody else in the ACC really is except for Clemson either. So the expectations for the season haven't really changed uh, a whole lot, uh, and they're helped by the fact that I think everybody feels a whole lot better about the quarterback than they were uh, at least just didn't know anything about going into the game. Now, some of the other stuff, it's a problem. Losing John Grenard to an injury, you know, that's a problem. Uh, but, you know, I, I think a lot of people are willing to just sort of chalk it up to, this is what Alabama does, uh, and we'll see how it looks in the future weeks. Hey, Mark, Brad Canning here. Thanks for uh, coming on, buddy. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you to elaborate more about Puma's past performance, you know, being, you know, his first career start and who it was against in that snake and old dinosaur methodical, you know, Alabama football. And, you know, what you saw from him that was a good sign in a game like this that bodes well for that rest of the season. Yeah, I thought that uh, he stood in the pocket. I never saw him bail out. And even you know, Lamar Jackson, for as just you know obscenely good as he was, he would get happy feet. He would bail out. And you know, one of the things that's been uh, a kind of a constant refrain from Bobby, really all off season, is that is that Puma Pass is unflappable. You know, he really keeps an even keel and that sort of thing. And I thought Alabama, especially kind of starting late second, early third, they really started to whip Louisville up front. I thought the pass protection was pretty good early, and then they really started to work him uh, in the late second, early third quarter. And I thought he just sort of stood tall there, uh, even after everything uh, that Alabama did. And there was you know one play where I think Quentin Williams just killed the center and had a hold of Juwan Pass, and he completed a pass over the middle with him holding on to him. And like that sort of thing is pretty encouraging. Uh, he wasn't perfect. The one, both interceptions were pretty bad. One was a bad decision. One was a bad throw. Uh, but just I think the fact that he never looked frustrated, he never looked rushed or, or overwhelmed by playing Alabama, who can certainly do that. Uh, and I think physically, quite frankly, that he held up. I mean, geez, you guys 
kill these guys. So it was uh, it worked out pretty well uh, for Louisville in this game. It's certainly nothing close to what happened to Florida State a year ago. I know you kind of just hit on this, but while I was watching the game, it, what kind of surprised me the most was how Louisville, when they came out in the first half, they held their own in the trenches to me for for a good while. Has Petrino mentioned that, or has the base mentioned that at all? And what has kind of been the response to their line play on both sides? I think uh, the pass blocking was pretty solid early. Uh, and then I think Alabama, just like the just the body blow effect, just sort of took its toll. And I think they figured out, by the way, that they could totally just uh, – get after the center, Cole Bentley. And I think you saw in the third quarter in particular, they got a ton of pass rush right up the middle, and his snaps started to get a little wonky. Uh, and that's sort of what they keyed in on rightfully. He's got some areas uh, to improve on. The pass protection was good. The running run blocking was not good. I mean, look, I know Alabama's a great run defense, but you got to do better than 16 yards. Uh, so that was an area where uh, they've got to do a tremendous amount of improving. But I think the pass protection was pretty uh, encouraging, pretty exciting. Defensively, it's really hard to say because they were just counting on John Grenard being a factor on the edge, and he gets he injures his wrist on the first series, and then they were kind of scrambling for guys after that. I thought they got some pressure early. I thought the you know the blitzes. I Gigi Robinson had a sack on that first drive, uh, and then I think they just plain wore out because they couldn't get off the field. So uh, kind of encouraging, willing I think to chalk most of it up. To just this, I think Alabama's going to do this to virtually everybody they play this year, and Louisville just happened to be first. I hope you're right. But uh, watching it from the opposing side, what did you kind of see from Alabama that gave Louisville fits out, outside of starting Tua, whether it be offensively or defensively? Well, I think Tua avoiding the pass rush uh, and buying time. I mean, not having a statuesque kind of guy back there, not having the Greg McElroys and the you know that sort of thing. Not, I mean, having him that could buy time, that touchdown pass, you know, where he spins and makes the throw almost blind, you know, that's the sort of thing that most Alabama quarterbacks couldn't do. Jalen Hurts can't even do that, and he is mobile. Uh, and this, the RPO game with him, I mean, poor, uh, the, the poor nickel safety and that sort of thing that was right there and kind of making that decision, do I take the run on or let him throw it? Every time he would throw that RPO slant, it was perfect catch on the run every time. You know, it's not really – like, I think America's hope against Alabama has typically been maybe we can get them in a shootout and they can't keep up. Typically, that's how Alabama loses. And now I'm not even sure you can beat them that way. So the fact that Alabama is as dangerous as they were throwing the ball and that Tua, even when he's under pressure, can evade and make throws either on the run or reset and throw, uh, it's really impressive. He's not just a good Alabama quarterback. He'd start for everybody. Uh, and everybody's sort of on notice as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so I wanted to take a stab at being uh, funny, as you say us Alabama media folks are. Um, so with Petrino being known as an offensive guru, I, I did have mad respect uh, for him trying to do that you know, dozen-man package out on the field at different times throughout the game <laughs> because I have a feeling if he would have gotten one more penalty for having 12 men on the field that he would have gotten a lawsuit from Texas A&M. So, um, that was, that's, the, that's the joke I made. It's a brilliant joke. Exactly. <laughs> begging well, for it. Good job, hey, Brad. Man. Good job. Yeah, look. Good like dad, no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> there are no jokes better than dad jokes, I'm just here to tell you. Um, oh, well, and A&M jokes, too. Any A&M jokes, because they're a weird cult. So they're cool. so I'm weird. Yeah. They're, yeah. The, they're the roller coaster that keeps on giving, man. They're the best. Um, <laughs> so I had seen, you know, as the game was winding down, you had tweeted out uh, that starting with a post-game show, you know, you asked how much of this is Louisville and how much of this is Alabama. Um, I replied to you. I said, you know, I'd lean towards this being a product of Saban's mur- joyless murder ball. And, 
Uh, you, you quote tweeted it and you said, you know, my biggest regret I have is not trademarking that slogan. And uh, I want to give you props for that, man. I've seen the shirts already out for sale. So you got to get on that. Get your legal team on it. But uh, I, I, I wanted you to clear the air a little bit because I went back and, uh, you know, I, I found a tweet of yours around Christmas time last year uh, about saving, saying he got everything he wanted for Christmas. You know, the same three pair of socks he gets every year. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, you love to say that the man is thoroughly joyless and uh, he's impossible to root for. So, you know, being that us, uh, you know, as sort of a cult down here as our own as Bammers, I wanted you to clear the air about your love of Nick Saban's lack thereof of, of love and happiness. I mean, look, here's look, I, I hate him, but I would <laughs> love him to be my coach like that. <laughs> All right. How's that? Is that? I think that's probably the best thing I can say yeah. is that. Uh, Here's, here's the problem, I think, for the outside-watching world. Uh, and sometimes a coach and a job are a perfect marriage. Uh, and the other evil empire in basketball, 70 miles to the east of us, <laughs> they've got the same thing. Uh, sometimes a coach and a job are a perfect marriage. Look, Saban, he's, you know, he complained to his buddy that uh, playing in the BCS title game took away from recruiting. Like, if I don't, like what's l- less joyful than that? Like, that's... That's him. I don't really know what the end game for him is because he's literally so obsessed with process. Like, I don't really know if he even, like, I, I think the uh, Levitard show kind of had this uh, rhetorical question once that I thought was really funny and it captures everything. And it was, does sex make Nick Saban happy? <laughs> and if, I, if, fil- like, if film's on in the background. Yes. <laughs> That's right. If, like, the fact that you stop and you're like, well, I mean, I'm sure it does. Uh, like that's Nick Saban. Like that's it. It's just I don't know what makes the man happy. By the way, I don't know that Bobby Petrino is any different. He's just not as good at it as Nick Saban. Well, I mean, Saban doesn't really get happy when Bama scores, so I doubt he gets happy when he scores. So, <laughs> oh, the, you know this this wow, game, man. this story of this of this game, it's thirty four to nothing, and I cannot remember the the young man's name that kept Louisville's eventual scoring drive alive with the stupid a uh, personal foul call it's 34 to nothing there's under 10 minutes to go in the third quarter and him and toss Point both are just killing this guy yeah and i'm just like man that's y'all that's yeah that y'all. that was senior leader uh, christian miller at linebacker <sighs> yeah yeah yep. i saw an article i saw an article and i cannot remember who who wrote it so forgive me whoever you are but it was it, the headline was something like what went wrong in Alabama's 51 to 14 win over Louisville? And I was just like, this, he is, he's contagious. Nick Saban is contagious, but it must be nice. Like you guys, you guys be honest with me. Is it boring? No, be real. I, I promise it is not. Look, since Oh nine, I've been to Pasadena to watch national championship. I've been to new Orleans. I've been to Arizona. Uh, where was I at last year? Atlanta. There's one more. In you there. don't even remember. Yeah. You don't even yeah. remember. There, there's another national. See? There's somewhere else I went. <laughs> but anyways, it's it's so much fun. Honestly, like yeah. it, this has been, it's been a blast. Like everything that I could have ever hoped for as a kid, anything like that. But it, well, you it, know, it's not like here's, here's why I ask if it's boring. Because like when Bobby was here at Louisville the first time, Louisville was kicking ass, and then yeah. he left. They hired Steve Craigdorp, and they sucked. And they, I mean sucked and then when he left charlie's first year charlie strong's first year they went six and six they went to the beefo brady's bowl and they beat southern miss by one touchdown and we were freaking thrilled yeah like it was awesome to win the beefo brady's bowl over southern miss by a touchdown and it seems like you guys don't ever get that thing where like there are small victories now 
I mean, we've we've been there though. We've been to Shreveport, you know, to to uh, to the what you know whatever it's called, the Weed Eater Bowl or whatever it is. And it, this is a lot more fun. It's legitimately like I, I, I don't take it for granted. I feel I, I feel I feel like a lot of our fans probably do take it for granted. I don't. I don't think Brad does. But no, look, I mean, I think we're in due of a calling of our fan base. Uh, you know, all these Walmart fans and everything because. Uh, it's gotten to the point. Some of the shit they say, uh, overreacting in bad plays or moments, is probably just as bad, if not worse, than the good things like you saying what went wrong in a fifty-one to fourteen win. Um, yeah. But I look back, and, and in January, when Alabama uh, was celebrating their national championship on campus, um, I took a picture and I tagged you in it and said, "I'm sure that you know," because everyone looked happy. I said, "I'm sure Mark Ennis will say this uh, is only sarcasm, <laughs> but you know." He's not mad. He's actually laughing. And, and then you quote it and you go, yeah, see, Bama fans are just not happy. It's joyless because they're <laughs> celebrating a national championship. And here he is adding me. And I think I get more self-gratification now out of just trolling people that try to troll the fan base or, you know, the situation. I think that's the new fun. But I've enjoyed every damn minute of it. And when you only have nine losses in the last 100 games, I can remember every single one of them in the way we lost, and it's terrible. It makes me drink now. But <laughs> at the same time, I, I, I don't know if I appreciate it more uh, yesterday as I did maybe five years ago. Now it's not so much about me just loving it. It's more about let's just enjoy this outside perspective more, you know, and let's, let's have some fun with it. That's what I like. I will say this: You guys do manage to lose in spectacular. We did, that is true. That like I mean, even the yeah. losses are worthy of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Look, when my best friend, he's a George, lifelong Georgia fan, we grew up together on the Alabama Georgia border. When they hired Kirby Smart, I told him, you know, what most people thought: he can recruit, he can probably build a quote dynasty in a sense, not Alabama level, but different. When they lost that national championship game last year. In his second year, I told my buddy, I said, man, I'm going to tell you this because of the kick six and, you know, the freaking 2010 Cam Newton comeback, Ole Miss, you name it. I said, you got your worst loss out of the way already. You're good from here. <laughs> let me ask you, uh, I've turned the tables here. Now I'm the podcaster, but let me get you guys to, have you thought about what it will be like when Nick Saban is not there? I don't even want to know. Because I just want you to know, like, you cannot – I've watched people try to follow Bobby Petrino, yeah. who is that, that guy. It doesn't work. Like, I don't give a damn who they hire. It doesn't work. Have you thought about that at all? Yes. We actually talked about it before the uh, Clemson game last year um, when Pruitt, you know, was ta announced taking the Tennessee job. Because um, there's basically two folklores out there that either Dabo's coming or Pruitt, if he has success, at Tennessee's coming. Well, I can tell you, you asking that question, my answer realistically right now is it's going to be weird as hell just because Dabo's weird as hell. <laughs> Dabo is weird, yeah, but he's it, awesome. It's going to be like the that's the most polar opposite of Nick Saban. But I think that might be a good thing, too, if that makes sense. I hope sense. you guys like dancing. He's big <laughs> on dancing. I'm looking forward to a big-ass slide coming out of Brian Denny. So. <laughs> it would be an elephant's trunk. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do, I do want to ask you one more thing, though, uh, before we sure. let you go. Uh, the Rick Pitino tell-all book and him announcing his retirement. Oh. What what are what are your yeah. thoughts on that? I mean, I know that's kind of a broad question, but no, that, it's fine. Uh, we, we've talked about it, you know, this week on the show. And two days a week, my co-host is Luke Hancock, so I I mean, I got firsthand, you know, what it's like to be around Rick and coach Rick and all, or be coached by Rick and all that sort of thing. 
locally, it's, people are very tired of Rick. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a, a Bare Naked Ladies has a song, and there's a line in it where they say, how am I supposed to remember you when you won't let me forget? Like, that's how people feel about Rick. They're, can you please stop suing us, doing interviews? writing books about how everyone screwed you here uh, so that we can remember you fondly. Like, please let us have that. And he won't do that. Uh, and I think that unfortunately, I think that Rick uh, has, he has an here. I'll say it this way. Are either of you lawyers? I feel like I should ask you that. No. Okay. There's not a person on earth less likely to abide by a non-disclosure agreement than Rick Pitino. <laughs> Like, he cannot be quiet. He cannot not talk. He cannot not lash out at people uh, and that sort of thing. And so the book is just, it, you know, it's just one version of how Rick is every day of his life. And I think if you read the book in particular, which I did, uh, you will find it is a guy who is sure he knows what's going on in the hearts of people that decided to run him out of here, but at the same time has no idea what was in the hearts of Andre McGee or Jordan Fair, the other assistant coaches that he hired, they got him fired. Like he's, he's a contradictory person through and through. Uh, and unfortunately, he, what he's doing is just burning up all of his career capital, especially here locally, to where we'll never get to remember him fondly. And now a lot of great things happened while he was here, even with the bad. We'll never get to remember any of it. It's all going to be dominated by this last couple of years. Look, right. I'm going to ask you about Rick. Um, with your connections and, you know, you being around him for a while, I got to know, and, and, you know, I'd say blink twice, but we're not on video if you can't answer, but was he part of the mob? <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke. Oh, man. If anybody ever – here's the thing. No, Rick is not part of the mob oh. because he can't shut up. He can't shut up. That's true. Like, there's, n there's no way – you. Would, I mean, you couldn't trust him with nothing. And, he, you know, there's no way. No, not at all. He's – He's the guy you would want to be like, no, he's legit. Look at him. Like, there's no way you'd trust that guy to be quiet about anything. All right. Yeah. If Rick Pitino was part of the mob, he would have already been whacked. All right. He's, uh, totally. the, host yeah. <laughs> he's the host of The Drive, 93.9, The Ville in Louisville. He's Mark Ennis. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Ennis. Mark, thanks, man. We, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. Any, anytime, guys. Good luck the rest of the year. All right, man. Thank you. All right. He's Mark Ennis, 93.9, The Ville. Follow him on Twitter. Man, I tell you what, it was uh, it was fun as hell. And uh, even though Mark may occasionally uh, act like he has a case of the chapped ass when it comes to Nick Saban, uh, he's a really good dude, and he uh, he can take it and dish it, and that's rare. And uh, respect the hell out of him. Follow him on Twitter, man. He he's got some good content for sure. So looking back at the Louisville game, I just had a couple of thoughts. I was watching the first drive of the game. I think if you go back and watch the first drive, that is a microcosm of what we're going to see all season. And here's what happened. Damian Harris, a running back, caught a pass. Irv Smith, tight end, caught a pass. Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy both caught passes. Then you add in a designed run for Tua. The drive results in a third down conversion touchdown. That right there is a total microcosm of what we're going to see now that Tua has pretty much established himself as the, as the man. On that touchdown uh, throw on that play, I had one hell of a swing of emotion because <laughs> I literally jumped up and yelled, oh, my God, he did it again. And then as the camera panned back to two is still on his back, I'm going, oh, yeah. shit, no, take me, Lord. <laughs> yeah, there, I think there was a little bit of panic amongst the entire fan base when he was laying there on the ground. But thankfully, he gets back up. Not to mention, you, you end the game, Damian Harris. Well, let me say this first. After the game... 
I had my initial thought was, wow, they didn't really run the ball that that much or that well or that effective or whatever. The, the running game just didn't stick out to me. But I went back, and you have Damian Harris averaging 7.9 per carry. Josh Jacobs averaged 7.5. Brian Robinson averaged 6. Najee Harris scores a touchdown. The running game was, was <laughs> alive and well. I mean, they're, they're going to be able to score on you from every angle possible. Josh Jacobs scores on special teams. The defense scores with uh, Shaheem Carter. Uh, this team is going to be able to score on you in any given play. No, absolutely. Um, I actually, uh, I had tweeted the uh, Bama football account on that. After that uh, one drive that two had made that, that opening drive made that touchdown throw, I said, I know we bitch about wanting to run the damn ball, but uh, just let Tua do Tua things. And after, you know, tonight and the things to come, we got to just go ahead and refer him to Tua touchdowns. I mean, that, that's his nickname now. It has to be. So um, it was impressive as hell. And Damian, Najee, and Josh are going to be overshadowed by what Tua does. But like you're saying, what they actually do statistically is going to be still what we expect. It's just we're being kind of just overtaken by the flash in the pan that Tua is every time he has the ball in his hand. Yeah, are, are there any specific players that maybe stood out to you Saturday? Well, I'm going to, as I did on Twitter, give you props for the old uh, Jalen Waddle prediction. But, I mean, dude, what a – even it got called back, but good God, man. Like, I don't know if we've yeah. seen a punt returner like him since Javi. Um, shot know, I was shot out of enough. a cannon. I was happy enough, first off, that he held on to the damn ball. He showed signs every kick before that that this is a potential. And then he does it, and he gets called back. And you know, it's like, you know what? It's probably a guarantee against Arkansas State. He's going to score one, and hopefully he doesn't get called back then. But, you know, he stood out to me. You know, I think Tua is the biggest topic within this game, mainly because he started. But the one thing most people have not truly talked about within that, because they're either focused on him getting the start or Jalen not getting the start, is the pressure that came with Tua and all the hype. Because tell me a quarterback controversy in college football in the last five years alone that has had this eight months. Hell, actually, Tua's freshman year before kickoff, that's had a year basically of just hype and fan base turning against itself, and this guy comes out, and that has not affected him. Yeah, it was almost going to be impossible for him to live up to what was expected of him, and it seems like... He's on the track to do it regardless. So, Oh, it's very, very exciting. I mean, I, I already tweeted the Heisman Trophy account and told them, you know, how to spell his name and um, that it's been a couple of years since the Hawaiian was there. So put the lose, the, the lays out. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Who stood out for you in this game, though? Well, the, I mean, I don't, I don't think we're telling people anything they don't already know with, you know, Jalen Waddle and uh, Deontay Thompson on the other side of the ball for me. One of the things that I, I kind of started to remember, if you remember, Thompson, he came in as a top, two or three ranked safety prospect in the nation. But he ended up playing wide receiver under Kiffin his freshman year. But he, he switched back after his redshirt year. His dad happens to post on a message board that I'm on. And uh, he kind of brought that up today, actually, and basically said, yeah, that, that kind of put Deontay behind and learning Saban's defense. Now, that wasn't a critique of Nick Saban because I think Deontay played wide receiver in high school as well, and I think that's something that he wanted to, that he wanted to try out. But if you fast forward after he spends three years as a backup, he's now emerged as the, the leader of, of the secondary and a guy that looks like he's going to have a tough decision to make after this season. 
<clears throat> no, look, Deontay is my my guy. I love that kid and watching him grow up since he came out of Texas from high school. And then you look back last year with everything that was involved that you know happened to him and uh, you know he got thankfully uh, dropped out of with that case out of Texas on spring break. And yeah. I, I cannot tell you how eerie similar though it is when you I saw somebody I can't remember the account they put a clip of Ha Ha at Alabama. And they put a clip of Deontay on that one pick he made that wasn't a pick because he was going out of bounds. But how fast he broke on it, his length, his speed, his judgment. It is – we have not seen a uh, actual just secondary player in general, whether it was corner safety, nickel, whatever, since HaHa and Landon Collins type error because this kid has it. And you look at the last three games last year, that's when he truly took that step. And the hardest thing within Saban's system is to not just take that step, but maintain it and continue to grow and be a leader, too. And he has not only done that, but he's improving. And you say make a decision. I think it's as long as he's healthy the rest of this year, it's a very easy decision. This guy can make his way into the first 32, no doubt. Yeah, he goes he goes from sitting the bench for three years, playing a different position, to very possibly being a first-round pick. And he's already graduated, as, we've, you know, as we saw on the uh, Training Days episodes. His teammates were really happy for him. You could tell that everybody loved him in the secondary. I think it's going to be a, a pretty easy decision for him once this season ends. His dad did also mention that uh, while his range his range from side to side stands out a lot, that a thing that they had been working on was his straight line speed. Because he's right now he's at, a, at around a 4.6, which would be fine at safety in the NFL draft, but that's... That's sort of the thing that the scouts and everything are trying to look for him to improve on. So we'll see. Yeah, and I want to give an honorable mention to uh, the co-SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week and uh, Quentin Williams uh, because what a hell of a game stepping in behind the shoes left, uh, big shoes, of Deron Payne. So uh, great game for him. Uh, great game overall for Alabama. Um, but, yeah, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how the team can continue to improve. All right, lastly, we're going to move on to Saturday's giant game against Arkansas State. The Red Wolves still? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I hope it is a sellout because that is a uh, top-nothing matchup. Yeah, shout-out to my to my boy Micah, who is a former Arkansas Arkansas State quarterback. He uh, he ran scout team as Steve Sarkeesian uh, during oh. his tenure at Arkansas State. So, Mr. Sutton, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, assuming everything goes well, I think this is a perfect – Perfect tune-up game for Alabama, and here's why. Arkansas State's bringing back their senior quarterback. He transferred in from Oklahoma. His name's Justice Hanson. He was the Sun Belt Offensive Player of the Year last season. Let me just read you some of his stats from a year ago, bro. Through the air, 62.6 completion percentage. He fell just a few yards short of 4,000 passing yards, 37 touchdowns, 16 picks. On the ground, 665, 7 touchdowns. They returned their top receiver, they returned their, their starting running back. Uh, they averaged 500 yards per game and 37.8 points per game last year. That is perfect a week before Ole Miss. Oh, yeah, which, again, that game looks a little bit more interesting after last yeah. week. But, yeah, let me review some stats then when it comes to the Red Wolves that Mr. Sutton used to play for. Uh, Alabama's 2-0 and in the series. They outscore Arkansas State 69-7, to uh, and the last meeting was 10 years ago. But Alabama overall – 16 straight home openers they've won, two shutouts in the last six seasons. I don't know what the line is right now. I'd have to imagine it's 40-something. It's 37 um, and a half. Last time that I checked, that doesn't mean that's where it's at now. 
Yeah, it's probably going to move up before Saturday, closer to that 40-something. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that uh, noticeable ground game that we didn't see against Louisville. Yeah, I agree. But you look, you know there's going to be some times here and there where Justice Hansen makes a play, where their star receiver makes a play. Saban will have all of that to point to in preparation for Ole Miss. Oh, yeah, because uh, Ole Miss is playing a nobody this weekend, and uh, then they host us next weekend. So with all the hype right now, uh, Saban needs every little bit of ammo he can get to uh, ensure that Alabama is not lacking when it goes on the road against Ole Miss. All right, and we'll have another show for you before Ole Miss. We'll hit on them. This has been the Roll Bamba Roll podcast. I'm Wesley. He's Brad. Roll Todd.